Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. It is, in fact, God's intent for each one of us to live a full and abundant life, a life that is fruitful and victorious. And so, so far we have looked at several key elements of this kind of life, which include abiding in Christ, where he is the vine, we are the branches. The fruit of the Spirit, which is the result of that kind of a life. The gifts of the Spirit, the warfare of the Spirit. And now we're in this segment called the community of the Spirit. For the truth of the matter is... The full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. The full or abundant life is lived in biblical community. As long as you find yourself in a situation where you are detached or isolated, somehow not connected with biblical community, you are going to miss out on what God's best is for you. And so the key phrase in our study comes from the Greek alelon, which means one another. And the fact of the matter is that it is used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. 100 times in 94 New Testament verses, we encounter this phrase, one another, which tells us that it's really, really, really important. And for this reason, one of the marks of a true disciple of Jesus Christ that we keep talking about is that a true disciple is communal. A true disciple is communal, meaning that they are intentional about living in biblical community, fulfilling these one another's of scripture. And so it's here that I want to make one last plug for our discipleship group launch conference, which is coming up this coming Saturday morning from 10 to noon. If you have any stirring at all, any inkling, any curiosity or sense that you want to know more about what discipleship groups are all about this coming Saturday is for you. Two hours, but you'll learn a lot and Lord willing, make some connections that will lead to your fruitful involvement in a discipleship group. So, um, so far we've looked at four of the one another's. We've talked about being members one of another, welcome one another, admonish one another, and love and honor one another. And today we'll be challenged by the biblical mandate to comfort one another to comfort one another. And the two passages of scripture which are key to this are 2 Corinthians 13, 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. That second one is where we are going to really dissect and go deep. And so this one is really important because the truth of the matter is we all need comfort. Why? Because we all experience pain. We all need comfort because we all experience pain. There was once a, a mother who lost her son And she asked an elderly Chinese philosopher how to overcome her deep grief. I can help you, but you must first bring me some mustard seeds, said the old wise man. But you must get this mustard seed from a home where there has never been any sorrow. Eagerly, the woman started her search, but in every home she visited was someone who had lost a loved one or had known some heartbreaking loss. And returning without any mustard seed, she exclaimed, How selfish I've been. Sorrow is common to all. Sorrow is common to all. Amen? Amen. Jesus said this. 
in John chapter 16, verse 33. He was so honest with us, so blunt and to the point when Jesus said, in this world, church, you will have tribulation. This is Jesus saying that life is going to be hard, even for believers, maybe especially for believers. It is going to be filled with pain and sorrow. Don't be surprised by this. That word tribulation comes from the Greek thlipsis, which literally means trouble or affliction. It appears twice in our 2 Corinthians text today. So be on the lookout for it. Thlipsis means affliction. Literally, it has the connotation of pressure, pressure, like you're in the garbage compactor in Star Wars. Remember that scene? And the walls are closing in around you, and if something doesn't change, what's going to happen? You're going to get crushed. You're going to get crushed, and life can feel that way, can't it? Perhaps some of you feel the walls closing in around you with some situation in your life even now. Imagine our brothers and sisters in Fort Myers. Fort Myers, they feel flipsis today as they deal with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. They're in need of comfort. Certainly those in Ukraine are feeling the pressure of thlipsis today as if the walls are closing in around them to crush them. They're in desperate need of comfort in the midst of all these losses that they've experienced. But the truth of the matter is, you, it's not only someone somewhere else in wars or hurricanes that experiences affliction. There, there's thlipsis, there's affliction right here, isn't there? For we all experience trouble and tribulation. Why? Because of all creation being under a curse of sin. That's the theological reason for the fact that bad things happen in this world. Romans 8 tells us, I love this imagery. Romans 8 says that creation itself, all of creation itself, groans in anticipation of the return of Jesus to make everything right. But until then, even as believers, we suffer which reminds us that we all need comfort because we all experience pain. Until Jesus returns to make everything right, we are going to experience the pressure of thlipsis, just as Jesus said. Prophet Elijah, I use this example a lot, but I think it's, it just really resonates with me. This, this prophet who was so powerful and mighty and had this great victory over the prophets of Baal and did miracles. And he reaches this point in 1 Corinthians 19.4 when he was being hunted. It says, But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Ever been there? You just want to curl up in a ball and go to sleep and maybe not wake up, or at least wake up when everything is different. Desperately needing comfort. Even the great apostle Paul, he experienced Philipsis. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was imprisoned and ultimately put to death. He writes very transparently in 2 Corinthians 1.8. This is the book where our text is today, so it helps us understand context. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction 
we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The Apostle Paul wanted to die. The affliction that Paul faced when writing 2 Corinthians was unique in and of itself. Um, The situation was that Paul was experiencing affliction from his own people. The church that he himself planted in Corinth and had discipled for 18 months, at this particular juncture, false teachers had infiltrated that church in Paul's absence. And these false teachers, they came in and they raised all kinds of questions about Paul's integrity and therefore his authority. Who is Paul? Is he, is he really someone that we can trust? Really someone that we can listen to? And largely, 2 Corinthians is Paul's response to these false accusations. Now I ask you, how would you feel if you were Paul in that situation? These, these people, these spiritual children of yours, and perhaps at that point, spiritual grandchildren that you had invested so much in, that you had sacrificed so much for, and now they're starting to, to question your integrity and who you are. They're turning on you. You'd feel discouraged, betrayed, and angry, ultimately hurt, in need of comfort. And so it's in this context that Paul writes 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. These two verses, 3 and 4, are going to be where we land today. Listen to what Paul writes in the midst of this. In the midst of this hurt. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That is not what I would expect Paul to write in his situation. You'll notice that five times, five times in these two verses, he uses the word, what word? Comfort. And actually, that word appears 18 times in the book of 2 Corinthians. And in light of what we know about Paul's situation, what point is he trying to make? What is Paul saying when he keeps talking about comfort, comfort, comfort? I believe that Paul is saying this. He's saying, yes, Corinthians and First Baptist Church of Cadillac, I am afflicted. Yes, I am under great pressure, great flipsis, but even greater than this tribulation is the comfort that I have received from God. And Paul communicates this testimony in verses 3 and 4 by making two main points. They're they're not particularly complicated or maybe deep, but they are profound. Point number one is this. God comforts us. God himself comforts us. But point number two is so that we can comfort others. So that we can comfort others others. Let's look at the first of these. First point, God comforts us. And this is so beautiful and so encouraging, and it it helps us appreciate our God so much more than perhaps we already do. Look at the text again. Paul begins by saying in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's, it's fascinating. It's it's unexpected that Paul would begin the defense of his integrity and his authority by worshiping God. Saying, you know what, at the end of the day, it isn't even about me. It's about God. 
Even in this thlipsis, this affliction, trouble, and tribulation, Paul intentionally focuses his eyes on God and his goodness and his character and proclaims his greatness to all so that today on October 9th, 2022, we are reading Paul's testimony of God's greatness from the lips of Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, even in affliction, I will praise him. And I think that's a wonderful example for us today. That is the starting point. When we are under pressure, when we are suffering, the starting point is to focus our eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Please note that Paul's worship, it's not fluffy sentimentality. It's not wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that God is like this. Rather, it is rooted in the truth of God's character. Not fluffy sentimentality, rooted in the truth of God's character. First is rooted in the fact that as we go back to our text, in the yellow, God is declared to be the Father of mercies. He is the Father of mercies. Now, what what does that mean? We use that word mercy a lot. What does it mean? Theologian Millard Erickson, he said it this way, God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart toward the needy. If grace contemplates humans as sinful, guilty, and condemned, mercy sees them as miserable and needy. And I highlight again that yellow, his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people, for you. For me, God sees our need. I love that passage in Exodus when it talks about the groaning of the Israelites and their slavery, and it says God heard and God saw. God sees and God hears us in our affliction, and He cares and He is merciful. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And wouldn't you know it, we sang a version of that in the commons this morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, God has every right to instantly cast every member of sinful humanity away in judgment and wrath, right? He has the right to do that. But because he is the father of mercies, he has made a way for us to be saved by sending his very own son Jesus to this earth to die, to shed his blood and be the sacrifice for our sins that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And my question for you today, do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord? All of this is rooted in God's merciful character. Appropriately, remember when we did our our, uh, uh, sermon series on the tabernacle? And we came to that part about talking about the Ark of the Covenant, that box that um, represented and was the, the place of God's special glory, God's presence. Do you remember what the lid of that box was called? The lid of the Ark of the Covenant? What was the name of it? The mercy seat. That tells us something, doesn't it? 
The place where God sits, the place where God dwells is the mercy seat. And so when, when Paul worships God in the midst of his affliction, his worship is rooted in the character of God, which is merciful. He is the father of mercies. But he is also, and here's where it starts to take shape for us today, he is also the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. The God of all comfort who comforts us in some of our afflictions, right? Are you listening? It's all-encompassing. All our afflictions, our God is able, and He will bring comfort in all of our thlipsis, all of our pressure and affliction. He is the God of all comfort because He is the Father of mercies. And just as it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, you can hear God pleading. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Because God is the Father of mercies, He is passionate about compassion, about bringing comfort to His people in the midst of their affliction. But it needs to be said, listen carefully, what do you think of when you think of comfort? Your lazy boy? A hug? And that's probably closer than the lazy boy. How about a bag of potato chips? You know, there, there are certain things that, we, you know, things that we seek after to bring us comfort. It can be comfort food. It can be a massage, a bag of potato chips, a lazy boy. That, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the kind of comfort that God gives. Rather, to comfort in this sense means to strengthen. To strengthen. And I, I believe this is great news. And I believe a hug can actually be a part of this. But when I'm in affliction, more than I need a bag of potato chips or a massage... I need strength to overcome, right? I need strength to overcome. That bag of potato chips is only going to take me so far. That massage is only... But strength to overcome, that's what I need when I'm under pressure, and so do you. And so this is the kind of comfort that God brings to us in His affliction. Now again, I believe that involves His presence encircling us and covering us. Well, how exactly does He do it? That leads into the first point of God comforts us with, number one, His presence. God comforts us with His presence. Oh, I'm so... Do you guys remember that corny song by Bette Midler back in the day? God is watching us from a distance. Sounds so profound, doesn't it? And it's theological heresy. God doesn't watch us from a distance. As we encounter tribulation, trouble, and affliction, rather, he, he came to be with us in the midst of our tribulation, trouble, and affliction. That is the meaning of the incarnation that God became flesh. Look at Matthew chapter 1, um, and we'll be heading, believe it or not, we'll be heading into Advent very soon. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not from a distance watching us. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort has come to be with us in the midst of our affliction, and He Himself was afflicted. Was He not? But His presence with us, you might say, well, but didn't He go back to heaven? Yes, He did. But watch this. That word comfort, it comes from a compound word in the Greek, parakaleo, 
Para means beside. Kaleo means to call. Put it together. It means to call to one side, to one's aid. And then when we go to John 14, 16, this is so cool. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This is referring to the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that word is right there for helper? Parakaleo. I believe in your King James Version, it even literally says the comforter. The comforter, again, not a comforter just as in one who gives us a bag of chips or a massage or a pat on the back, but a comforter as in a helper, one who strengthens us in the midst of our pressure to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Not from a distance, he dwells in us. There's an old hymn, right? It says, the comforter has come. The comforter has come. Comfort is a key element of God's character and ministry of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside every believer. If you have the Holy Spirit as a believer, you have the comforter dwelling inside of you. And if that weren't enough, we have the promises of Jesus which say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, here's an important point. Listen carefully. This is where it gets real applicable. You will likely experience the comfort of God to the degree that you seek the presence of God. You will likely experience the comfort of God to the degree that you seek the presence of God. Now, I hope that makes sense in light of what we've just discussed. If God's comfort comes through God's presence, and if you are neglectful in seeking His presence, then you are most likely going to miss out on all of the comfort that He intends for you, that you could experience. And that would be sad and unnecessary. And that's why when it comes to having a quiet time, a devotional time, it isn't just about fulfilling the task. The task, ideally, is about communing with the presence of God. song that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. might say, Oh, the comfort that we forfeit because we don't seek God's presence. So, God comforts us with His presence. Number two, He comforts us with His promises. He comforts us with His promises. You know, there's perhaps no greater time that we need comfort than when we're standing at a graveside, at the death of a loved one. So many of you have experienced that firsthand. Some of you have experienced it recently. I want to thank Rhonda Shanklin for her recent seminar um, dealing with grief and the loss of a spouse. When we stand together at a graveside, one of the passages that I regularly share is the promise given by Jesus in John 14 where he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be 
also. I don't know about you, but for me, this is one of the most comforting promises in all of the Scriptures, that Jesus is coming again, and He's going to take us to be with Him. And for those loved ones who know Jesus, we will be reunited with them forever and ever and ever. So no matter how great the affliction, the pressure, the flipses I'm experiencing right here on this life, no matter the pain and the hardship, we are encouraged by the truth that it will not last. It's temporary. For an eternity with Jesus awaits. And in light of that eternity, we're able to say these, these just crazy words of 2 Corinthians 4.17 because you know, some of the affliction of this life is so, so terrible. But we read in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They won't last. They're only temporary. But the things that are unseen, these promises that we're given, are eternal. Such precious, comforting promises from God's Word to help us, to comfort us in the midst of our suffering. So in light of this, here's a a, a familiar corollary with that first point, and that is this. You will likely experience the comfort of God to the degree that you saturate yourself in the promises of God. You will likely experience the comfort of God to the degree that you saturate yourself in the promises of God. Once again, it makes sense. If God's comfort comes through His promises and you are neglectful and saturating yourself in His promises, you are most likely going to miss out on all of the comfort that God intends for you in your tribulation. So, God comforts us with His presence. He comforts us with His promises and lastly, with His people. And that leads to the second main point of the text. God comforts us, number two, so that we can comfort others so that we can comfort others. Look again at the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This fascinates me, but consistently we see throughout Scripture that God's means of ministering to people is how? What is God's primary way of ministering to people? Other people. Us. It's not the way I would do it. It seems very inefficient. It seems like there's, you know, it'd be so much better if God just did it directly. But take evangelism as an example. God could just zap people with a gospel vision and sometimes he does. I, we hear these stories, in, especially in Islamic com- countries, and Jesus shows up literally and gives a vision to these folks. But that's not typically how he does it. Rather, he is entrusted to us the ministry of evangelism, and so it is with the ministry of comfort. He has entrusted us with that ministry. We are his agents of bringing comfort to those who are hurting. Now, one of the things that I love about verse 4, and I hope this encourages you today, especially those of you who are presently suffering, none of our suffering is in vain. None of our suffering is in vain. God redeems all of it and uses it for good. Aren't you glad for that? I can't imagine going through the suffering of this life without this context, without this understanding, and just thinking that, 
you know what? It's just all chance. It, it, there's no purpose. There's no meaning. My Bible tells me differently. Back to the text. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What Satan intends for evil in our suffering, God uses for good. As we experience God's comfort in our suffering, and we will, it uniquely equips us to bring comfort to others. Let me say it again. As we experience God's comfort in our suffering, it uniquely equips us to bring comfort to others. Um, Who is best equipped to minister to someone who is going through a divorce? Probably someone who has experienced God's comfort when they too went through a divorce. Who, Who is best equipped to minister to someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one? Probably someone who has experienced God's comfort when they grieved the loss of a loved one. Our God is so great that He takes even the worst of our afflictions and He ultimately uses them for good. And even in such a way that one day we'll be in His presence and we will look back and no matter how terrible that experience was on earth, in comparison to what we're experiencing in heaven, our earthly experience will seem like light and momentary Affliction. It's so hard to comprehend because the reality of our suffering is so great in the here and now. Well, let's wrap things up by taking just a few minutes to talk about how we can practically comfort one another. All right, practical ways to comfort. There are three. And the first of these, predictably, is presence. Is presence. Again, remember that word for comfort, parakaleo, literally means to call to one's side to one's aid. It literally speaks of being physically present with another. And so if we are going to be about biblical comfort, there will be a ministry of presence involved. We will be there to walk with those who are hurting. We might initiate this by making that phone call, that initiation of connection. We might send that card. We might show up on their doorstep. We might invite them to coffee. We might just be very forward and saying, how can I help? I'm here. Never underestimate the power of the ministry of presence to come beside someone to their aid. So we comfort as we show up as we show up and we are physically present and available. Now, let's be honest, that takes time and it doesn't fit neatly into our agendas, into our plans. We have to be willing to be interrupted and to give time and to give attention with presence. Next, practical ways to comfort after presence is our prayers is our prayers. Now, this has become such a cliche in our hashtag society. When tragedy strikes in our world of any kind, how do people in our society generically respond? They say, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. It's become such an overused cliche, used so much it really doesn't mean much. But church, there is nothing cliche about the power of prayer, true prayer. 
And I believe with all of my heart that when we intercede for another, for one who is under pressure, who is suffering, who is going through affliction, and we call out to the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort on their behalf, that God will honor those prayers. Our prayers, our intercession, they matter. And it is quite convicting to me to think that perhaps others have not when it comes to comfort because we intercede not. Our prayers matter. Let me ask you today, I mean, it's interesting always when we kind of analyze our prayer times and the subject matter of our prayers, to what degree do your prayers reflect the heart of God? the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort? Are you praying prayers of intercession for comfort and healing for those who are hurting? Next, practical ways to comfort presence, prayers, and lastly, provision. And what I mean by provision is meeting practical needs. Um, it, it's not uncommon that someone who is experiencing thlipsis or affliction, um, they will have some physical needs, And something um, as simple as a gift card, a meal, or a meeting of some other tangible need, maybe childcare, just might have a huge impact and might represent a huge dose of comfort, of strengthening to that person in their affliction. It's interesting, God's provision for us was not theoretical, was it? We just talked about this. It was practical. Jesus showed up in the flesh, and met tangible needs. Our comfort for others must be the same. Let me go back for just a moment and pick on that phrase, thoughts and prayers, that overused cliche once again. We live in a day where there's hashtag activism. You know what that means? Again, something happens, and we feel compelled to go onto social media and make a post, and maybe we'll say thoughts and prayers, or we'll, we'll think, well, that that event happened, and I have posted on social media, therefore I have done something. And actually, there are statistics that show when you post something on social media and feel like you have done something, you are far less likely to actually do something about it. And so again, I'm not saying that all we should avoid all social media posting when it comes to some of these things, but we as a church must go beyond hashtag activism. We must be about meeting practical, tangible needs. I love our Deacons Fund. I love the fact that so many people needs, tangible needs, practical needs are met. They bring comfort. They bring strength to people when they're struggling and they have need. I think that's one key area that we as a church excel is in our deacon's fund. So, again, God is about more than hashtag activism. He's about real action, and so must we. So practical ways to comfort presence, prayers, and provision. With this in mind, let me just close with a couple of questions. Number one, who do you know right now, this minute, who's in need of comfort? Who is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind to say, you know what, you know this person that is under intense pressure right now, great affliction, and the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart that there's a need for you to be an instrument of God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort to bring comfort. And then question number two, what is the Holy Spirit leading you to do about this? 
What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do about this? I'm going to pause for just about 15 seconds. We're going to bow our heads, and I just want you to be courageous enough to ask that question and to see what the Holy Spirit might bring to mind. Finally, there are likely some of you in this room who would say, Chad, I'm the one who's in need of comfort today. I'm the one who is under intense pressure. The walls are closing in. I feel like Elijah. I just want to lay down and go to sleep. I feel like Paul, who despaired even unto death. Chad, that's me today. I need comfort. I need prayer And if that's you today, whether in the sanctuary or in the commons, could I just ask you to take a brave step just to stand up where you are? Would someone break the ice and just be vulnerable and stand up right where you are and say, Chad, would you pray for me today? Someone do that? Thank you. Are there others? Don't don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste this opportunity. Are there others? Amen. Anyone else? We just want to pray for you. And if you are near someone who is standing, would you just put a hand on their shoulder or on their back? Again, let them know that they're not alone. Make sure everyone's covered. Make sure everyone has someone near them. Let's pray. Father, in a group of this size, um, it's so inevitable that we're going to have people who are hurting right now. And God, I lift especially up to you right now these who are standing. Thank you for their vulnerability. Thank you for their willingness to say, I need, I need help. I need comfort today. I need the Lord. I need a fresh wave of his spirit and his presence in my life. I have, and I have something going on, God, that's bringing great pressure to me right now, and I need God. And I thank you for this example of the role that the body of Christ is to play in the midst of our pressure, in the midst of our affliction. I thank you for the hands that are on shoulders and backs right now, who are interceding, and all of us who are interceding and saying, you're not alone. And God, we cry out to you and we thank you again that um, it's not just wishful thinking or fluffy sentimentality, but your word tells us the absolute truth that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And we cry out to you to show up big in the lives of these who are standing right now and to be who it is that you say you are. And we trust you knowing that you have never failed and you're not going to start now. God, be the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Bring the help and the strength which is needed right now. And God, for us as a congregation, would you open our eyes to see those around us, to see the need.
to see the, the affliction. And may we be willing and brave enough to ask how you could use us to be your representatives. May we, as a congregation, excel in comforting one another. This is our prayer in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.